name is Joe Sprung, and welcome back to Never Too Late, the podcast dedicated to bringing you stories of people just like you and me who prove that it truly is never too late to overcome any obstacles in your life. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Never Too Late to Start Conference and subscribe so you never miss an episode. We love hearing from you and are always looking for people with incredible stories to feature. If you or anyone you know would like to share your story, contact us on our social media at Never Too Late to Start Conference. With me today is Dr. Marcy Borofsky, an impressive dentist and entrepreneur who has helped bring healthy smiles to thousands of people. Marcy co-founded Smile America Partners, now known as Smile Programs, the mobile dentist with Dr. Margot Wall in 1997. They organized dentists in localities across the nation that travel to perform preventive and even restorative care to children. By having dentists visit children during school hours, they're able to see and treat various children whose parents may not have the time or money to take them to a traditional dentist. Thank you for joining us today, Marcy. Why don't you tell us more about your business and its growth? Uh, well, thank you, Joe. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, this has been a over 20-year labor of love. And um, by education, I'm a, a, a dentist and um, saw an opportunity uh, uh, in 1997, that's when we started, uh, to provide dental care for those who didn't traditionally dental, reach dental offices. So this will be a surprise to some people, but uh, dental needs are the number one health care needs for uh, children. And uh, it is unfortunately stratified by socioeconomic disparity and racial and ethnic minority. And it's meaning that children who um, are raised in lower income often have greater dental needs. In fact, the U.S. Surgeon General has said that 80% of all dental needs occur in the low in the uh, in the lowest 20% of uh, income stratification in this country. And of course, this population doesn't generally have a lot of dental offices and a lot of dental accesses in the same community. So when we started, we decided to provide dental care for kids in schools because that's where the kids are. And traditionally, dentists have been unwilling to accept Medicaid as a form of payment. So the irony of this is that most children of low income do have dental coverage. They're covered under the Medicaid program, yet it's often been spoken of that it's a hunting license because it gives you the opportunity to hunt for a dentist and then the dentists don't accept Medicaid. So in the, in the past, our um, philosophy was we thought we'd go to school and provide dental care for kids uh, with the parents being able to sign up for dental care. And way back when, and I'm from Detroit, we started this in uh, Pontiac, Michigan, which is a has the same demographics as Detroit. And we went to a school and it was like we were sucked into a vacuum of need. Everyone signed up pretty much for the program. The kind of decay that we were seeing in children's mouths were the, was the kind of decay that was spoken of pre-fluoridated water. And we learned from the very first day till today that there remains a huge amount of need and 
the sad part, dental disease is painful. It disrupts your aesthetics as you look into the world. It affects learning because children in pain can't learn. Uh, and it is almost 100% preventable. This is a disease that doesn't have to be here. And as I mentioned earlier, it is the number one unmet health need. So that's a little bit of a basic problem. And from that day till today, we have visited over 10,000 schools and we see about 550,000 patients a year. Um, and in 18 states. And I can tell you for as much work as we do, it, we really only touch the surface of the need that exists. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. You, you found the Small America Partners in 1997. What were yeah. you doing at that point in your life? Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? So I would say I didn't do it for an entrepreneur. You know, I think, I think in the 24 years since then, being an entrepreneur has become something. I think, I think when we started this, we really started this to, to fill a need, um, to provide dental care for children at risk and high need. Uh, before that, I actually, I'm also a physical therapist. And um, before that, I had started physical therapy clinics. There was a big need for physical therapy at the time. When I started, it was only provided in hospitals and there was transition of providing it in hospitals to outpatient clinics. And I was part of that movement. So I guess I had already had some experience being entrepreneurial. You know, the, the term social entrepreneur is out there. And I guess I would consider myself more of a social entrepreneur, providing much needed medical and dental services rather than creating a widget and making a big sale of widgets nationally and internationally. But I just always saw myself as somebody who provided much needed care. So um, I like the term social entrepreneur better in, in for the work that I've been doing. And there exists tremendous need um, for almost everybody in every profession. If you kind of take a look at your profession that you know, you can see where there's, there's a lot of need. There's always big voids. And so when we started with kids in schools, we actually thought we would provide dental care for all kinds of underserved populations, whether that was seniors or homebound. But once we started, we, we stayed in the schools because we, we really just continued to service the need. So I guess I'm an entrepreneur. Okay. And um, well, that, very happy you know, that you are. That. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, how did you start? Where was your first school visit, and what did you learn from that first experience? So our first school visit, it was in a charter school, as I mentioned, Pontiac, Michigan. And um, we had bought a lot of equipment. We had patients sign up. We, you know, carried the equipment in the back of the SUV. And then by the second day, we went out and bought a Ford Econoline van because it was really clear we had to bring a lot of stuff to the school site in order to create a dental office. And that, that's what we did, is we would create dental office for the day. So we learned an enormous amount. What Probably an enormous amount of how to deliver the service, uh, and we were doing it on a volume basis. There were a lot of kids who did it, and we had to be efficient. We couldn't take the kids out of school all day. They could go out for a half hour, 45 minutes pop, 
and we had to return them to their classroom. So I would say every day we've ever run this, this program, we've learned something new, particularly in the beginning. We, we learned a lot, but mostly what we learned was how much need there was. Right. It was incomprehensible for this preventable disease. Okay. What are some of the other obstacles you faced along the way? Um, so we did face obstacles. Some of the unusual ones, I would say, is the dentist community wasn't very happy with us. The dentist community felt we were, quote, stealing their patients. Interestingly, we always, we always said, how can we be stealing these patients? They're, no, they're not going to a dental office. You could take one look in their mouths, and for the 99% of the children we had seen, the service that we provided at school was the first time that these children had ever seen a dentist. But so there was some professional jealousy, and we always invited them, come join us, come with us, come see the kids. There's more than anybody could ever handle. So um, there was that situation. I can actually liken it to what's going on in, in the government today as those, of, you know, as of yesterday, they had the uh, Build Back Better bill of uh, Joe Biden, and and in that bill was a potential to provide uh, dental care for the Medicare, the senior population, and it did not get included. And I can tell you that the American Dental Association lobbied their membership, their dentist membership, very heavily to not have it passed, uh, and, it, and it was removed from the bill, which is unfortunate because our senior population, especially seniors of low income, need, need dental care as well, and it's not being provided and dentists are not serving this population because it's, of course, very expensive. So I would say that the professional dental community was really seems to always be late to the party to provide access to populations at, who need it. And I'm very proud to say, I guess, we um, fought against that and did it for the public good and provided care that we knew, in our case, children needed. And um, eventually, the profession went along, but they were slow to the party. They did not recognize it. And they did not support it for quite a number of years in the beginning. So that's probably our biggest obstacle. And the, the teachers in the schools on the opposite were just, they knew that there was a huge need for these kids to have dental and, and other healthcare services. And they couldn't have been more supportive and more uh, helpful in having our dentist teams come to the schools. So um, there's, there is a big need, and we were happy to do it, but I would not say that the American Dental Association and their constituent societies were supportive early on. They are now, but they were not for years. Did you have any idea it would grow to serve over 550,000 underserved children per year in schools across the country? Are you happy with where the company is now? Never in my wildest dreams could I have ever imagined. I'll give you another statistic. We've seen over 10 million children that is in, the amazing. Course, in the course of time that we've been operating. So the statistic, and probably after the pandemic, it's even higher. The statistic is that there are 40 million children who are not in Medicaid. So that's the measure of low income yeah. uh, in this country. And over 50% of them do not go to a dentist in the course of a year. So I never thought we'd have these kind, we would have this impact. Um, I'm so proud of the fact that we have. And I do think it's 
not done. I think that is the, the impact can always be more and better. But you know, this is an important aspect of healthcare. Um, a lot of times, I think our our country or you know, healthcare above the neck seems to be a different system in in our country. Mental health and ocular health, eye health, and dental health—it's a different system. Definitely different insurance plans. And unfortunately, the body didn't hasn't gotten that message because when you have an infection in your mouth, there are systemic or body consequences. That happened from having that infection. So it really, the mouth does belong part as part of the body, and um, it needs to be recognized as that. And every year, it yeah. grow more and more. Mm-hmm. Okay, I so, s- I see you went through a rebrand from Smile America Partners to Smile Programs, the mobile dentist. What was that process like for you? So. Um, it's our company is divided into professional services corporation because only professional dentists uh, can lead the professional aspect of the company. Smile America Partners is the administrative services organization. For us to get this big, we really did need to professionalize the organization and have back office assistance with administration, with billing, with IT services, with hiring with scheduling with you know every day that we go out the last event that's done is showing up at the school but before we go show up the school there's a lot of, of administrative processes that have to happen in order for the team that is in the school to function efficiently but in terms of the the name we went by a lot of names over the years but smile america partners is the overall administrative entity but we started actually as Mobile Dentists, and um, uh, that was our first name. And, and the name kind of evolved over time to being um, every state has a different professional corporation, but the overall name of the company is Smile America Partners, which is I, – I love the name. I think it's, it's great. great. It is a great name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how involved with the company are you now? Are you still CEO? I'm not CEO. Um, we do have we do have a, a CEO of Smile America Partners. So financially, when we started the company, we started it as a dental office that went into schools. And then as things evolved, we um, separated it off into, as I mentioned a moment ago, professional services organization and an administrative uh, organization. And I did sell the administrative organization, which is the Smile America Partners. I'm still involved. I'm still uh, on the board. I'm still an equity owner, but that has, but most of the equity, in fact, is owned by outside financial uh, companies. They were those companies that helped give us the financial backing to grow, as we have in 18 states, and we send out a couple hundred teams of dentists and assistants and hygienists every day. And so we did need their help to, we need financial help to get uh, vehicles and infrastructure and IT systems and it's costly. And when we grew, we grew quickly. And so we did need assistance from financial firms to help us. So that was a learning for me. I certainly didn't know how to 
do this, and I think it's pretty common for entrepreneurs to have their ideas, um, but at a certain point, you can use the help of the outside world, outside financial world to help you grow in a way that you probably wouldn't take the risk to grow on your own. Was there any, at the inception, was there anything or anyone that really helped or guided you uh, at the at the very beginning that gave you really the incentive, you know, like the motivated you to start this? Or was it just strictly, you know, Marcy Varofsky that decided to do this? So I would say um, our idea was to fill a vacuum of need. And, um, and we we, it was myself and my uh, co-founder partner, and we would talk and we would bounce, like, who's not getting served, right? And my background before that, as I mentioned, was in physical therapy. So people who are not being served are those who have, we thought, we still think it's still true, people who have mobility issues. You can't get into an office. If you need a wheelchair, you can't, you know, you dental operatories are pretty small. They're not very accessible. It's hard to transfer patients from from a seat to, uh, you know, let's say if somebody's in a wheelchair, from a seat to a dental chair. Um, elderly is an issue. So we really did focus on elderly. Mm-hmm. And many years ago, we did meet um, someone who was a dentist who was doing something like this, built these huge semi-tractor trailers and would provide dental care. And um, we would just seek advice from everybody. You know, I think the, for people who are entrepreneurs, the biggest thing you can do is start talking. You might be afraid that somebody might, quote unquote, steal your idea. However, people care and they will share their best learning. And um, so that was a, so we met this person who was extremely helpful to us and really guided us and said, don't buy these semi-trucks, don't buy trailers, it's too hard, it's too expensive, you've got to park some places, you have to have special drivers, and convinced us not to do it. And that probably was a big shift in what we thought we were gonna do, and to really use portable equipment and portable um, uh, storage methods, like we were big on tackle boxes, Mm -hmm. um, to take into the site. So. I think when you're talking to people that people have great advice and um, some you'll take and some you won't take, but it is really important to reach out and speak with people and get input from others. Um, So I think that was a a very helpful person. And then the school districts were amazing to us. The leadership and the superintendents of the schools, they really want, once, once they heard what we were doing and they knew the need of their, um, population they they were very 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 helpful to us and um you know as i said we were first called mobile dentists and i remember going to a, a like a school trade show and and a woman came over and said and you need mobile optical and you need mobile dental you need mobile hearing you need mobile mental health you need mobile everything because right. there's just a tremendous amount of need for for children in school we always learn from everybody. And one of the most requested topics we hear from our audience is how to get media attention and get their business out there. I see on your website that you've had pretty steady media attention. How do you manage to get valuable media coverage? That is a good question. And I can tell you we never paid one dime for media attention. Oh, right. okay. But 
I can tell you, so, so uh, early on, um, somebody, somebody wrote an article about us, and we were new. We didn't have a lot of schools, and, but it was third-party authentication once we had an article that was written about us. And um, we took that article. It was a long time ago. <laughs> so we went to probably Kinko's at the time and, you know, reproduced them as many times as we needed to, got a mailing list of all the schools in the area, and then mailed that article um, to others to let them know what we were doing. But there is nothing more important and more effective than getting in the news. So of course, it's a little different today with social media. Mm-hmm. And and we just, one, if you're doing a good job, somebody will say something great about you. And just we use that information and spread it everywhere and got the word out. Um, and it was very helpful to do that really did help us grow when people write articles about you or they post pictures. In our case, we're often, in, to this day, I, we're often uh, in uh, on people's Instagram accounts. We'll work at a school and, and they, they, you know, somebody, they'll write out thank you and they'll put up pictures of the kids and we just keep spreading it around. And um, But we don't pay for it. So it, it, it's, I think, more important, in our case, it was more important to not pay for it than to pay for it, because it was always um, information that was from the heart when it was put That's beautiful. Uh, yeah. on, whether it was in a newspaper article or if it's in a Facebook posting or an Instagram posting, and we'll repost it generally all the time. So what does it feel like to see your business what it is today? I mean, it must be like the greatest feeling in the world to... You know, to know that you created created something from scratch, and to see how how it's become such an influ- such an important facet of uh, children's health and well being. So it feels terrific, Joe. Uh-huh. I I can tell you that it's been a labor of love. Unfortunately, the one thing I could never have imagined seeing is that we would have been living through this pandemic that we're living in. And I'm sure everybody knows schools were shut down. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it has been a challenge to restaff and retool and get back out. Uh, in, in I can imagine. School. Yeah. That was a very big deal. I mean, we lost a lot of staff. People went into offices, people left the workforce, all the stories that you're hearing in the news certainly affected us as well. I mean, you know, so we're uh, really just getting started again, uh, September and October. But I can tell you, much to my surprise, the schools remain extremely supportive and the parents are still supportive and signing up for the program. And um, much of the staff has returned, but we are not, uh, we don't have all our staff. So we have had to do a lot of hiring and a lot of training. And then we have a lot of procedure updates, you know, to mitigate the spread of uh, COVID, to do the right thing and follow CDC and OSHA guidelines. So it's been, so I could never have imagined that this would happen either, but we are, we are returning back to um, providing a lot of care. We're not hundred percent there yet, um, but we hope to be. And I hope that, you know, they keep talking about our pandemic becoming endemic, and I hope that's true. And, you know, we're on the 
precipice of having our 5 to 11-year-olds, and that's our biggest population is the 5 to 11-year-olds, get vaccinated. So that will continue to make a difference, hopefully. Okay. What advice do you have for anyone who is hesitant to leave their stable jobs for their entrepreneurial dreams like you have? Yeah. So that's a good good question. And um, I do think that, so if you are the prime breadwinner in your home and your income is really necessary to put food on the table and pay the rent, you have to, you have to be careful. Um, it's very hard to just give up your job, give up your support, give up your security. I would recommend that um, people started as a side hustle. So in the companies that I've started, there's been a few now, uh, I always started it with a, with a minimum investment, like I would say $10,000. So put a number on it. Um, and, and then it, it, it invested more, but I invested more from the proceeds of the company. Um, and, and I, I just think it's, it's very difficult if you're the prime, if everyone relies on you financially to give up that security for your family and, and start something. I highly recommend starting it as a, you're going to learn a lot. <laughs> you have an idea. You know, started on, I mean, if, if, if money isn't an issue, that's a different story. But um, but if it is, you want to start it slowly, learn what you're going to learn. And um, uh, until you feel secure enough financially, you, you kind of have to keep your, your day job, I believe. And I mean, I would recommend that for people. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of time in the course of the day and with passion and um, doing what you're going to do is uh, uh, you're going to learn a lot. There, I, I once read an article, which I actually believe in, and it said the biggest thing to back an entrepreneur and to know if somebody's going to be successful is if they've had experience doing it. Whether they were successful or not successful, the experience of doing it is really, really very important. So I guess for most people, I, I would say, you know, start it as a side business first and see and learn what you can learn. I mean, there are situations now with a lot of, you know, this didn't exist much when I was starting about doing uh, VC funding, venture capital funding, angel funding. There are people who will do this now uh, in organizations, and I actually invest in some of those, and um, that's another route, but raising funds is also a full-time job. And I, I often wonder if the idea of raising the funds pulls you away from the, the doing of whatever it is you're going to do. So those are two ways that um, someone can get things started. And depending on the personal financial uh, needs of, of the entrepreneur who wants to get started. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Marcy. It's always great. Okay. He- it's always great hearing from entrepreneurs who took a chance and made it out successfully because it reminds us that the American dream is alive and well. More importantly, it reminds us that it's important to give back. Providing health services to those who would otherwise have a hard time receiving them is a great mission. Marcy, you have done a great thing with Smiles Program. 
and I hope your story inspires everybody listening that it's never too late to help others. Don't forget to follow us on social media and check out our website at nevertoolatetostart.org for more information and how you can begin your entrepreneurial journey. Thank you, everyone. Bye now.